0: or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. A few words from the Apostle Paul this morning from the book of Galatians. These are selected verses from Galatians chapter 5, and I'm reading from the Message Translation. Picking up... um, verses 1 through 6, and then verses 13 and following to verse 15. Paul says to the Galatians, Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand, never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. I am emphatic about this, for in Christ neither our most conscientious religion nor disregard of religion amounts to anything. What matters is faith expressed in love. It is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's Word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you will be annihilating each other. And where will your precious freedom be then? (coughs) Anthony DeMello was a great storyteller and a great collector of stories. I was telling his stories long before I even knew who, who he was. And when I discovered who he was and his spirit, well, that made his collection of tales all the more important to me. DeMello was born in the fall of 1931 in what is now Mumbai, what was then Bombay, India. Raised in a devout Catholic home, he entered the priesthood when he was only 16 years of age, and there the Jesuits educated him. They sent him to seminary, gave him the opportunity to travel the world. He was exceptionally bright. And years later, he returned to his native India, where he continued his work as a priest, but was quick to gather stories and wisdom from all spiritual traditions that he found and gathered them together into his quiver. He was only 55 when he died, but his legacy has been one best summarized by a friend of his, who wrote that, quote, Tony never taught me anything with all of his stories. All he did was encourage me to discover what is real true, and beautiful in life. No one will be happy, DeMello would say, until he or she is free. And no one will be free until he or she understands the truth. And that is Mello's simple recasting of one of Jesus' most famous maxims, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. One of DeMello's stories is about a young man a plumber who visits Niagara Falls for the first time. and Niagara is almost 200 feet high. It has the greatest water flow of any falls in North America. 600,000 gallons of water a second spilling over the edge. And this young plumber looks at the falls and he turns to others on the viewing platform and he says, Oh yes, yes, I can, I can fix this. And that is classic DeMello. short to the point, humorous and deadly accurate. No preaching, very little commentary required, just tell the story. Well, I'm going to tell you a story today, one that I've told here on at least two other occasions, looking back, once six or seven years ago, and the first time almost 15 years ago, just a few weeks after a simple faith was organized. This was one of the first stories I ever told you collectively during a series of talks I entitled Unsanctioned Saints. I explored the lives of a few people important to me in my own spiritual development, and this man was one of those people. He remains a primary influence in my life, along with another saint named Clarence Jordan, and I find returning to Their story is necessary given the society in which we live. And today's story, to the point, however, is the story of Roger Williams. I tell it with this caveat. I don't want to be the young plumber observing Niagara Falls. I can't fix anything, but I think this story can encourage us all to discover what is real and what is true and help us toward expressing freedom. About what matters, expressing freedom, a form of faith expressed in love. Well, to the story, Roger Williams was born in London in the winter of 1603. And as a young man, he took up a hobby that changed his life and the future of North America. Shorthand. If you're young, you have no idea what that is. But he had this ability in the days before keyboarding and digital recorders to make and take copious and accurate notes in shorthand. Shorthand is the system of uh, abbreviations and, and symbols. It was the computer coding of the day. And this is how young Roger got his education. He graduated from Cambridge University, and two years later, in 1629, he was ordained as a priest in the Anglican Church, the Church of England. These are strange and dangerous days in England, and looking at the news, the strange and dangerous days today, though differently. Not everyone was happy with the Church of England back then. In fact, while Williams was pursuing his education and his ordination as a minister, you might recall that a group of separatist rebels left England in a little boat called the Mayflower, and they landed at Plymouth Rock seeking religious freedom. They had been oppressed and persecuted by the state church, the Church of England, and so they set out for this new world to create a type of religious utopia for themselves. The pilgrims were not very successful in their efforts. They more or less dried up on the vine, and a decade later, under a new charter, they were replaced by the Puritans, who, in the words of the first governor of the newly chartered colony, John Winthrop, it was their intention to create a city on a hill that the nations of the world might see how God's people were to live. Roger Williams in 1630, 27 years old was irresistibly drawn to this kind of idealism. And so he and his wife, her name was Mary. They had been married for less than a year. They set sail for Massachusetts. Freedom from the Anglican Church was on their mind, and the hope of being a part of a community of faith that would be radically different than anything they had ever been a part of previously. He arrived in Boston, 1631, and quickly moved to the village of Salem, Massachusetts, where he became the, became the pastor of the Puritan church there, and he started preaching every Sunday. Preachers preach, and sometimes that preaching gets them into trouble, not only with the congregation, but with the larger community, and young Roger got into hot water almost immediately. Why? Well, he believed in what was a novel idea at the time, that the state had no right to enforce a particular religion onto its citizenship. He believed in the odd idea, that was very foreign in Europe at the time, that there should be a separation between church and state. A killing rage, literally, erupted in that little church at Salem and quickly spread to Boston, the capital. This new preacher needs to be strung up for heresy, became the dominating opinion. Amazing, really, given that this colony was begun by people who had escaped persecution at the hands of the state church. These people had come to the new world to be free. So what had happened? Well, Roger Williams grew up during a time when heretics were still being burned at the stake. Back in England, he had witnessed such heretics being burned alive, ministers being executed by the state for religious crimes. This wasn't Islamic Sharia law in Pakistan. This wasn't Levitical commandment being carried out to its logical fulfillment in ancient Israel. This was in the most advanced civilization on the face of the earth at the time, the British Empire. And seeing this was something Williams never got over. By coming to America, he escaped that poisonous religious culture, but when he arrived, joyfully preaching liberty and freedom that people should be able to choose their own faith expression without punishment or penalty or interference from the state, he was met with the same kind of hatefulness that he had left behind. It was just under... A different name. Massachusetts had thrown off Anglican oppression, but they had replaced it with a brand of their own. The persecuted, as it so often happens, became the persecutors. They condemned the Anglicans for burning their own at the stake, but then turned around and did the same thing to others. You see, for them, it wasn't really about being free. It was about being in charge. It wasn't about religious expression. It was about power. It wasn't about giving people an opportunity to thrive. It was about making people conform. And the Puritans used a whole complex system of religious rules and regulations imposed upon the colony, and everyone was expected to follow these. No questions asked. One funny example comes directly from the writings of Roger Williams, when he first arrived in Boston, the pastor of the Boston Church, who was a terribly sour man named John Wilson, had recently announced that children born on Sunday would be denied the holy sacrament of baptism. Couldn't get baptized. Why? Because the mother of the child was get this, guilty of working on the Sabbath, laboring, literally, on the Sabbath, thus breaking the law of God. But it gets even better. It was presumed by Reverend Wilson and others at the time that all children were born on the same day of the week in which they were earlier conceived. So there had been some working on Sunday nine months previous as well. Of course, the pastor had some trouble on his hands and had to rewrite his theology when his own wife gave birth on a Sunday to twins. Now, it's one thing for a church to have some wacky beliefs. It's another thing altogether for the state to be able to enforce those beliefs at the end of a sword or a gun or a hangman's noose. But, but that's exactly what was happening. There was no distinction, no separation between church leadership and government leadership. None whatsoever. If you failed to show up on Sunday at church, the police might appear at your door Monday morning to put you in jail. If you didn't tithe properly on your income, the governor of the state would get those tithes by increasing your taxes. The minister got his paycheck from City Hall, and that's where Sunday's collections were sent after the service. If you were running for office, you had better get the endorsement of the local minister, for only those he deemed godly could be elected. And when it came to voting, only those who were members of the church and in good standing were allowed to vote. Now, how is that for voter ID? The control over society was so strong that if you had a guest in your home for longer than two weeks, you were fined for allowing them to stay because outsiders were not welcome into this kind of closed system. And if your guest did not leave without properly joining into the society, well, then both the host family and the guest could be put into stocks or jailed or beaten until they complied. This is a true story, I am telling you. A book, The Platform of Church Discipline, written during Roger Williams' time in New England, sums up the Puritan relationship with church and state quite well, quote, It is the duty of the government to take care of matters of religion. The goal of the governor's office is godliness. It is his duty to punish and repress idolatry, blasphemy, heresy, and open contempt of the word preached. Should any congregation dare to grow schismatic or walk in any corrupt way of their own, the governor must put forth his coercive power. Likewise, church government must further the people in yielding more readily to obey the civil government. Anyone who will oppose the civil government is a rebel and traitor to God. End of quote. Now, let me stop right there. If that sounds good to you, that the government should enforce proper religion and protect God, as it were, then let me ask you, which religion is to be enforced and whose God? Because there is no better opportunity to oppress and to persecute and to abuse than when it is being done in the name of religion or of God. And to this, Roger Williams could not yield. He said as much, quoting, To this I cannot abide, for God does not require a uniformity of religion. To enforce uniformity, is to deny the very principles of Christianity. Forcing a person to be converted is like compelling an unwilling spouse to enter into a forced bed. It is nothing less than the rape of a person's soul. God does not need the sword of steel to assist the sword of the Spirit in the affairs of conscience. Well, this went over like a lead balloon, of course. And on September 13th, 1635, Massachusetts did what they had the power to do back then. They excommunicated and banished Roger Williams, not just from the church, but from the colony. Then they devised a plan to arrest him in the middle of the night and deport him back to England where they had cut a deal with the very people they had escaped from themselves to have him burnt at the stake. They wouldn't do it themselves. Their hands were too clean for that, and he was too popular with a few of the locals, but they would make sure that it got done. He was tipped off just hours before the authorities arrived with the blunt words of a friend, get thee gone from Salem and do not return. He escaped into the wilderness where he was cared for by the Native Americans of the region. He was taught to survive in the, war, in the wild and eventually purchased from the Narragansett tribe the land that would become the state of Rhode Island. Rhode Island became a haven for all kinds of dissidents in the earliest years of the American colonies. The very first Quakers, the first Jews, the first Anabaptists, the first Baptist came to Rhode Island to escape the religious persecution of the Puritans and of others. And while Roger did not always agree with the beliefs of these groups, he still believed that these people had the right, the inalienable right, to choose and express their faith according to their own conscience and not according to the rules of an established church or a government. It was a hundred years after his death, 1787. The newly formed United States of America was struggling to accept a new constitution. Twelve of the thirteen states had ratified it, one did not. The one holdout was the smallest of them all, Rhode Island, and the sticking point at issue was religious liberty. The delegation from Rhode Island pled with the Constitutional Congress with these words, The duty... We owe to our Creator, cannot be directed by force or violence. All men have an equal, natural, and unalienable right to the free exercise of religion, according to the dictates of conscience, and that no particular religious sect or society ought to be favored or established by law in preference to others. The delegation Prevailed, And Roger Williams lives in the opening words of the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Roger Williams agreed with the Pauline appeal to freedom that we read in Galatians chapter 5. External laws, religious manipulation... The threat of punishment, retribution, church-induced peer pressure, force, coercion, these things do not lead to a healthy and godly life. These things lead to oppression and to abuse, to rebellion and to hypocrisy. A person, all persons, must be granted the space and the privilege to follow the Spirit, for that is the only path that leads to life. Go back to Salem. Do you remember what happened there? In the summer of 1692, five years after the death of Roger Williams, 20 men and women were put to death in the village of Salem for the crime of witchcraft. The majority were hanged at the gallows, but a couple were pressed to death, having heavy stones rolled over them until their insides burst. Thirteen more of the accused died in prison before they could be tried, and hundreds of people were caught up in accusation and brought up on charges as the religious hysteria machine ran roughshod over New England. All of it originating in that little church at Salem, Massachusetts, that little church that had spurned the words of freedom and grace, the little church where Roger Williams had appealed to Christians to behave as Christians. These evangelical and Protestant forebearers were putting people to death over issues of faith on American soil. So it's no wonder... That when John Winthrop, that governor of Massachusetts, who wanted his colony to be that shining city on a hill, he asked his friend Roger Williams to recant of his strange beliefs, to leave the Indian tribes, quote, of the wilderness and come home, that Roger Williams responded, I cannot, for I feel safer down here among the Christian savages than I do among you savage Christians. Here is a word for we who live in the age of Islamic Jihad and radicalized Christian nationalism. Whenever governmental power is fused with religious authority and it doesn't matter which government or which religion, it is a fearful and dreadful thing. And I have said now for over 20 years, repeating it here six or seven years ago and saying it here for the first time 15 years ago, and I used to say this just as a way of sort of lobbing a theoretical grenade into a room to get people talking, but it is more true now than it was 20 years ago that there is very little difference this very morning between a jihadist with an AK-47 in the streets of Islamabad and some Bible-thumping fundamentalist on the screens of American television wishing to execute others for the infallible sins that they believe in. For if they had the power, they would impose government power to carry out their religion. And my friends, that cannot be... Of the Spirit. That is a thirst for power and control and punishment, and it will always end in the same place. And you might disagree and say, well, there's just no way that could ever happen here, but it can because it has. And it is the repeating cycle. Of history. The law that exiled Roger Williams to the wilderness was not repealed until 1936, when the Massachusetts House finally ended 300 years of calling Roger Williams a heretic. But with Roger, I would much rather be called a heretic if that means never harming a single soul in the name of my religion. If it means Remaining committed to faith that expresses itself in love. That's what it means to get gone from Salem. And that's what it means to be free.